qualifies you to teach about this stuff? Well, I've got all the letters and licenses and the finance degree, but what qualifies me is I've done it. That's what qualifies me. I've been there. You know, we started working this stuff, we're going, we're never going back. Never going back. I'm not living like this. I'm never going to put myself in a position. It's time to take a stand against debt. It's game on, you guys.
I'd like to welcome you here today. I'd like to give a very special welcome to any first-time guests that we have. Thank you for taking time out of your holiday weekend to worship with us here at the Forks. If this is your first time, we would invite you after the service to go by the Welcome Center in the foyer. And we have a small gift for you and some information about the church, our way of saying thank you for coming to worship with us here at the Forks. For those of you all who are worshiping online, we welcome you wherever you may be. You may be out of the state, you may be out of the country. Wherever you may be, we welcome you as well. But thank you for coming today. I can't think of anywhere else I'd rather be on Sunday morning than in God's house. How about you? Amen. I saw somebody not clap because you'd rather be at Cracker Barrel right now. I know that. I know that. But we are so thankful that you are here. We welcome you into this place. We welcome the Holy Spirit into this place. And we pray that everything we say and do throughout this service would bring glory and honor to God and would help encourage you to live out your faith in a wonderful and holy way. But at this time, I'm going to invite you to stand once again. Tell someone you're glad to see them here today. Could you do that?
standing as we continue to worship this morning.
Amen. Wow. When the Holy Spirit is so thick and you can't hardly sing and the Spirit overwhelms you, we serve a great God. Do we not? How great God is. Wow. Praise the Lord. Thank you all for leading so powerfully and so beautifully. And thank you for coming today to worship with us on this holiday weekend. I understand you could have been many other places, as we've already shared, doing many other things. But I'm grateful that you took time out of your schedule to come and worship the only one who is worthy to be praised, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we welcome you. And I'm so grateful that this is a church that believes in the power of prayer. And I guarantee you with a crowd this size, with folks watching, some of you are going through things that maybe no one else knows about in your life. Private pain. Maybe it's a family crisis. Maybe it's trouble at your work. Maybe it's anxiety or depression. Maybe it's fear that you have. Maybe you're here or you're watching and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want you to know today how much God loves you and he is our only hope. And I pray that you would know him personally before this service is over. And if you feel led by the Holy Spirit and you're in this place, we invite you to come kneel at this altar or you can stand wherever you might be, wherever you're worshiping today, that can be your altar. But I'm going to invite you, if you feel led by the Holy Spirit, to come join me as we pray together. Won't you come pray with me today? pray together. Oh Lord, thank you for the sweet spirit we fill in this place, singing how great is our God and how great thou art to remind us that you are all powerful. And Father, that that you are everywhere. And that Father, you promise to always be with us. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit We'll just continue to move through this service. People praying for home or vacations, where they may be. May that present and your power and your love. Father, there are folks here today that are dealing with health issues, and we know you're the great healer and the great physician. And if it be your will, heal them completely so that you would be glorified and that people would be saved as a result of your power. Father, we pray for others that are going through maybe personal hardship. Maybe it's problems in relationship. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it is depression, anxiety, fear. Meet us right where we are. Lord, maybe there are folks worshiping here or watching that have never given their hearts and lives to Jesus. We pray that a song that's sung, a prayer that's prayed, your word that's proclaimed, 
would draw people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because you are our only hope. And Father, we pray for folks that are still recovering from flooding and now flooding once again, even to people in our own community. And I received a text right before the service, Lord, where even one of the churches, sister churches, North Benson Baptist, experienced some flooding last night and early this morning. Bless them as they recover. Bless others who are still recovering and all those who have been helping them to recover. Father, I would say that there are folks in this room that are recovering from storms in their lives. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's not started off as the best semester at school. Maybe you've had a friend that has abandoned you. Maybe you've had people to say all kinds of evil about you. But, oh, God, may each and every person know that you promise to be a friend that will stick closer than a brother. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not have to fear evil. For you comfort us, your rod and your staff. And, Father, I pray that you would bless each and every person here for whatever is going on in their lives keep people safe as I know we have folks traveling over this holiday weekend bless them continue to be with our country and bring healing and unity and peace father I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move through this service continue to sing and play through our worship team and speak oh God through your word and your servant And I pray, God, that it would be your voice that's heard and not mine. Your message, God, that penetrates our hearts and not mine. That, Father, when I am weak, then I would be strong through you. So, Holy Spirit, touch us, lead us, guide us, direct us, convict us, save us through Jesus. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory and the honor and the strong In holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, would you turn with me to Titus chapter 2? I'm grateful that our worship team is leading us today. Uh, Bill is out of town visiting with family, and so our choir is not singing today, but I appreciate our instrumentalists and our worship team for leading us and for doing such a beautiful job. And they'll be coming back to lead us right after the reading of God's Word, beginning with verse 11 of Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Thank you all. What a beautiful again and powerful message and song. And thanks for again coming out on a holiday weekend to be in God's house. Always like to share a little humor to get you ready to listen to more important things. And this is an oldie, but but goodie. You may remember the story about O. Buford and Ethel going to the county fair. And as they went to the county fair, uh, O. Buford saw a, a booth that said helicopter rides, $50. And so Buford turned to his wife, Ethel, and he said, Ethel, you know I've always wanted to ride in a, a helicopter. Can, can we go ride in this? And she goes, Buford, it's 50 bucks. And 50 bucks is 50 bucks. We're not riding in any helicopter. Well, Buford, dejected, walked away. Time came and went. They went back next year to the fair. 
And sure enough, there once again was the booth for helicopter rides. Buford once again went up to his wife, Ethel, and said, Ethel, uh, I've been what you know, I'm not getting any younger. I, I really want to ride this. She goes, Buford, you don't need to be riding in any helicopter. It's 50 bucks, and 50 bucks is 50 bucks. Well, time passed, went back to the county fair the next year, and wouldn't you know that booth for helicopter rides was there once again, and Buford went up to the booth and saw his wife, Ethel, there, and he said, Ethel, I may not be here next year. I'm getting older, and I want to ride this helicopter. And, and Ethel said, Buford, how many times have I got to tell you? It's 50 bucks. And 50 bucks is 50 bucks. Well, the pilot happened to be standing at the booth, and he overheard the conversation. He goes, maybe I can help you all. And said, okay. He said, how about this? Let's make a deal. I'll take you all up in my helicopter, and if you all can ride this ride up in the sky and, and not say a single word to one another the whole time, it'll be free. But if you all say anything, the deal is off and you have to pay the $50. So Ethel reluctantly agreed, and O. Buford was, was just ecstatic. He was thrilled. So they went up in the air, and wouldn't you know that, that helicopter pilot, he did every kind of maneuver and went upside down and sideways. And finally, after the ride ended, much to his surprise and his amazement, they never said a word. And he turned around to, to the old man Buford, and he said, Sir, I am shocked. I cannot believe I did every kind of maneuver possible. I thought for sure that you all would have said something. I know Buford said, well, I started to say something when Ethel fell out, but you know, 50 bucks is 50 bucks. So. <laughs> you can change the names to be whoever you want to fall out of the helicopter. Do you ever feel like that your life is out of control? And do you feel like that you're losing self-control because everything else around you seems to be falling apart? And what happens when it seems like everything's falling apart? Then many times we lose our tempers, we lose our patience, some may even lose your inhibitions. You lose your focus. And sometimes even Christians, we lose our witness when it seems like things are out of control. Today we're reading out of the book of Titus. Many of you probably remember that Paul and Titus had gone to the island of Crete and there they started a church. They began a church. But when Paul left, he left Titus there to be the overseer or the organizer or the pastor, if you will, of this growing church there on the island of Crete. And so in the verses that we read today, Paul was being a little bit more specific with Timothy on how to 
deal with opposition. He was trying to help Timothy to, or not Timothy, Titus. Y'all correct me now if I'm wrong. That Titus was to teach not only faith, but proper conduct for God's people. And then he also was warning them about false teachers. And so as Paul gave this message to Titus and the church, its words are so relevant for us today. Because many times we need to be reminded about proper conduct for God's people. We need to be reminded about growing in our faith. We need to be reminded how to deal with opposition in a God-honoring way. We need to be reminded of what it means when people teach something contrary to what we believe and how we handle that. And But he gives some powerful incentives to Titus that I hope and pray we can apply to our lives as we strive to live godly lives, holy lives, controlled lives under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And in our first passage out of Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for it is the grace of God that has appeared that brought salvation to all people. For the grace of God that appeared has brought or brings salvation to all people. Well, God's grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And if you would look in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, For we were not saved by any works of righteousness, but we have been shown mercy. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. It's because God loves you and God loves me. It says his salvation is for all people. Do you believe that? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I think about what Paul wrote in, in Romans ten thirteen. For anyone or everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I think about what the Lord said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And we will be together. And so we know that God's grace saves us. Undeserved merit and favor that he's shown us, whether we deserve it or not. Have you ever been given a second chance in your life? I want you to think about that for a moment. Has there been a time where you pegged and you pleaded for another chance and then you were given another chance? Did that change your life when you begged and pleaded for another chance? If I could just get a second chance. The Bible is full of second chance people. Now, I think about 
I mean, the list could be long, but I, but I think that in the, in the Old Testament, Noah, remember that old song where you sing, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah got his second chance in his family. I think about Jonah, who God called to go preach to Nineveh, but yet what did Jonah do? He ran the other way, but yet Jonah was shown grace and he received a second chance. I think about Mary Magdalene in the New Testament, this woman filled with evil spirits. She was given a second chance and she became one of the most committed followers of Jesus Christ and all of God's word with him to the very end and there when he rose from the grave. I think about the criminal on the cross when he was dying and the other one was hurling insults and yet that criminal on the cross said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember what Jesus said? Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. He was given a second chance even on his deathbed. Think about Peter who was given a second chance. Peter who denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And yet Jesus told him for the three times that he denied him, or disowned him, I love you. I love you. I love. He, he told him, reinstated him, showed him how much he loved. That's grace, isn't it? And how many of you all, when you've been shown grace, have said, Lord, if you help me to get through, I promise, I tell you, I will never do it again. Honey, if you forgive me, I promise you, Son, daughter, boss, employee, I pro- if you, I will never. How many of us have made those promises? Then boom, we go right back to fall and pray to the devil's schemes and we keep doing the stuff that we said we'll never do anymore. We do it over and over again. Well, I've got a modern day story of something I had shared uh, with you before back when I was in school, but this seemed more applicable I asked for my wife's permission to share this, but not my son's. <laughs> so, Isaiah, surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise. My son, in his second year at EKU, a college student, and, and my son, to toot his horn a little bit, he's always been a very good student, take, took after his mother in that regard. Always a very good student, always very conscientious of his work. And this past week, um, he was doing an online class, and he somehow missed an assignment on the syllabus or looked at the wrong calendar. And this was a class that was a half a semester, and then he'll take another class for the second half of the semester to complete the semester. And Isaiah called us and was distraught and upset because this half a semester class uh, of some work that he was supposed to turn in, he didn't know it was due that day. He thought it was the following day. And a big fat zero came across. And for his midterm grade was a big fat F. Well, my son is enough like his mother who strives to be a perfectionist and do her best that 
he was from, I and he was taking it hard. And we said, son, we, it's okay. We love you. You know, need to be more responsible <laughs> anyway. But I said, <laughs> read the syllabus. Look at it closer. You read it. You know, you pay it. To, you've learned a painful lesson. But I hope you understand, you know, that you need to pay to get your work done on time, blah, blah, blah. Well, my son went on and did the work and turned it in, even though the syllabus clearly said there would be no late work accepted. Um, and so my son sent the professor a, an email that evening and pleaded his case, said, I... I am a, uh, I'm always very conscientious about my schoolwork. I try to make good grades. I'm so sorry. If you basically would show grace, I promise you this won't ever happen again. The next day, Isaiah, and the professor sent back a, a kind response, but said nothing about the grade. You all, you all know the syllabus has when the work is due. You all should know the blah, 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 blah. The next day he checked his grade and he had an A for that class. He showed grace and let him turn in work. How many of us have been shown grace by God? And we say, if you help me and get me, I promise this will never happen again. And then the devil tempts us, and we go right back to things that we promise that we would never do again. Remember God's, when we remember God's grace, it should be an incentive. It should be accountability that we want to do well for the one who showed us such grace. That we would want to please him, that we would want to honor him, that we would want to glorify him more than anybody else. Remember God's grace. But then in verse 12 of Titus chapter 2, after it talks about God's grace appearing, it teaches us, it teaches us to resist or to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions that we may live a righteous and upright and godly life. The second powerful incentive that we have is to resist ungodliness and worldly passions. To resist and worldly passions. Last week we shared about Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind or spirit. If you were to look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Verses 1 through 5, Paul wrote, But in the last days there will be terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, paraphrasing these, boastful, proud, arrogant, rude, without love, rash, conceited, uh, with no self-control, unforgiving, slanderous, having a form of godliness, but denying its power without uh, holiness, unholy, all these things. 
If you want to look at that list and study it, it could be taken out of today's paper, out of today's world. In the last days, it describes what people are going to look like, and grateful and holy and forgiving and all these many other different things. And that's why many times we've shared out of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and following, when Paul said, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Did you all hear that? Be careful how you live. I've told you, through my life growing up, my parents, the only two words they ever said more to my brothers and me than I love you is be careful. Be careful. Even to this day, my mother on the phone or when I drop her off or see her, be careful. And guess what I say to my children when they leave? Be careful. Be careful. And that could encompass a lot of things. Be careful. But then today I want to touch on something that I know might be a gray area for some people. It's probably going to make some people, I, I appreciate many of you all were so gracious to send me some uh, kind messages last week after the message texts and, and encouraging words. I give God the glory. I, I appreciate that. But today, I don't know if any of you all are going to be sending me any encouraging texts and, and message because God's putting something on my heart and I want to share it as lovingly and as honestly. We talked about being real last week. Well, I'm going to try to be real with you. But people don't always want to hear it. And I want to tell you this. I've always said since I've been pastor of this church that we can agree to disagree and still love each other. You, you may not see it as I see it, and I may not see it as you see it, but we can still agree to disagree and love each other. As long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, there's no fault in him. But God's been putting some things on my heart. When Paul said, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, that debauchery is uncontrolled living. It's when you're out of control, when you're not following God's ways or following your own ways or the world's ways. Well, there's a lot of debate in the church, maybe not in some other denominations, but the Baptist church about alcohol. And in the Old Testament, there's the Hebrew word, yayin. And if you look at the translation, it says, freshly squeezed grape juice. Fruit of the vine. And then you look in the New Testament, it's oinos, which, again, some translate freshly squeezed grapes, fruit of the vine, not fermented. And yet, there's hundreds of passages in the scriptures 
that talk about alcohol. But the one that a lot of Christians like to use is out of John chapter 2 when Jesus turned the wine, the water to wine. That's one that a lot of people like to use. Well, scholars obviously debate on what he meant by that. Some have said it's it's onyos, it's unfermented, it's basically freshly squeezed fruit of the vine grape juice. But yet, we know some wines in Scripture, old and new, it was fermented and people would get drunk. And clearly, the Bible is against people getting drunk. That's clear, against drunkenness. But then people say, well, it's okay to drink in moderation. Can I ask you all this? Who's the moderation police? Who's the one to say when you've had enough? Did not every alcoholic start out with one drink? Every alcoholic has started out with one drink. And another word for fermentation is corruption. And we would all agree that corruption is no good, right? Has corruption ever done any good? And yet, we have so many Christians today that continue to drink alcohol. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Now, let me share this with you all. And again, I want to be as gracious and as loving as I can. It breaks my heart when I see so many Christians drinking when you have either lost family members to alcoholism or currently going through drug or alcohol addiction and you keep drinking right in front of them as if it's everything's okay when they're dying from it. That breaks my heart. When I see Christians, I'm not on social media, but when I have seen, when everybody's got to pose with their alcohol. Does nobody ever hold up a Pepsi or a cup of coffee and go? (laughs) It's always with alcohol. You know what we're saying to the world? This is life. But Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly to the full. Jesus is the life. Now let's go back to John chapter 2 when he turned the water into wine. Now if you look at some translations, the the master of the house, when they ran out, Jesus' mother was saying, look, they're out of wine. And Jesus had the servants to fill up the six jars, remember, and fill it with water. And then when they sipped it, and they said, after they had been well drunk, after many had, had been drinking, Now, do you think Jesus would have contributed after people were already well drunk or had been drinking that he would have come and given them more wine so they could get more drunk at the party? I heard Jensen Franklin preach a sermon, The Sipping Saints, and he said, I refuse to believe that Jesus is a bartender. And there he began to share how Again, there were probably pregnant women at the wedding or, or people have Do you think he would have contributed to birth defects or would have contributed 
to a downfall of someone's losing control after all the many references to the damages of alcohol. The Institute for Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism came out with a study in 2019 that 95,000 people in America die annually over alcohol-related, alcohol-caused-related. I can do anything that you say, but it may not be beneficial for me. Or it might cause a family member or a friend to stumble and fall. This is a gray area in the church and even among Christians. And I want you to hear my heart that through the years I have seen firsthand its destructive power. I've done funerals of teenagers that died in drinking and driving accidents. I've done funerals of people that have died of cirrhosis of the liver. I've seen wives leave husbands because of their alcohol abuse. I've seen children use that as a gateway drug to get into more powerful addictions. It's been a problem for years. And I've witnessed, I've done the, I've visited people in jail as a result, people in rehab as a result, people that have had their lives destroyed over having a drink. Is it really worth it? You're playing Russian roulette. You're playing with fire when you have that one drink. You may can control it, but what about your child? What about your son? What about your daughter? What about your brother? What about your sister? What about your coworker? What about a fellow Christian? Someone just told me this past week, I don't know where, I don't really care to know, that a pastor, to make an illustration and a point, came up to the pulpit and he popped open a beer and he began to drink it at the pulpit to show you you're not going to get struck with lightning by drinking beer. Well, I want to tell you this. This pastor will not have a beer with you, but I will pray with you and I will try to support you and love you. A lot of people drink alcohol because they're trying to use a self-medicating mechanism. They're either dealing with depression, anxiety, bipolar, or some other mental health issue, and they're trying to self-medicate. Jesus and our faith is the one that's our medication. Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He's the medicine. He's the one that brings peace. Nothing else in the world can really bring true peace. Two more stories before we move to the last point. This was the tough one I had to get through. If anybody wants to fill my hands right now, they're cold and clammy and wet. But God put it on my heart, and I prayed about it. I've wallowed with it. Kelly and I prayed about it, wallowed with it, because I don't, I don't want to offend anyone, but I want to defend what this book t- teaches us. 
And I don't want to offend you all. You know what I've found? That we can all have justification for what we really want to do and how we want to live. We can all say, well, because of it, but if it hit at your home, you might see it differently. As long as it's somebody else, we're good to go. But if it hits at home, you're like, oh my goodness. I understand now what he's saying. A couple other quick stories. I got a call years ago early on a Saturday. I'm talking about 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning where a buddy that I had played basketball against through the years, high school, industrial leagues, church leagues. She, this is how she awoke me, and some of y'all might remember this. I know it's 12 o'clock, Cracker Barrel line's already formed. You already missed it. Forget Cracker Barrel. Oh, that, that reminds me. My wife and I went to Cracker Barrel Friday for breakfast, and the waitress, this is like at 8 o'clock, 8.30 or something, she goes, can I interest you in a drink? We have our, and she started naming off their drinks that they offered at Cracker Barrel. And I said, no, we don't. And she said, well, I think that Cracker Barrel has really gotten away from our family values and serving, you know, so that was this Friday at breakfast. But two, two quick stories. I had a mother to call me at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. She said, Todd, I'm such and such. I'm such and such as mother. She said, my son was killed in a wreck last night where alcohol and drugs were involved. This is what his mother said. I know that he's gone to hell, but I want you to come preach his funeral because I know there will be a lot of other young people there, and I want them to know they don't have to go there. That was what his mother told me. And I began to share with her that I had shared Christ with him before and we're all sinners and we all fall short. And I said, I'm praying maybe, maybe before he took his last breath, he had come to know Christ in a personal way. The Bible's clear about drunkenness. And we all have a responsibility as Christians to be an example, to be a light in a dark world. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 5, uh, 8 through 10, when he said, uh, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, and the fruit of light consists of righteous, goodness, righteousness, and all truth. And find out what pleases the Lord, is what he says. And find out what pleases the Lord. The second story is, my father-in-law has shared this story to us on many occasions, and he shared it to my children, his grandchildren, when going to a social gathering or party and saying, Bill, how come you won't drink? How come you don't want anything to drink? And he said, because I refuse to be friends with the murderer of my father. Because his dad was an alcoholic. Hear me out of love, church. I am not judging you. I don't think what you do is between you and the Lord. But I have a responsibility to be faithful to share what God has led me to share, whether it's popular or not. So hear my heart out of love. I can tell you right now, I have a blast without it. And you can too, I promise you. But lastly, not only are we to resist 
uh, worldly passions, ungodliness and worldly passions. But lastly, the third incentive, powerful incentive to live a holy and godly life is, is that we have readiness for the Lord's return, readiness. In verse 13, as, as, we, as we await the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The readiness of the Lord's return, our blessed hope. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you were to, to read in Second Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 12, it says, you ought to live your life in a holy and godly way as you await the approaching of, the, of God's day and speed its coming. First, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And I'm going to get this here. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Did you know that? The only reason the Lord hadn't returned, he's wanting more people to be saved. He's wanting more people to come to Jesus. He's wanting more people to experience his grace and his mercy. And that's the rest of verse 14 and following. To redeem his people so that we can live godly, holy lives. I did break my thumb when I was dribbling the ball up the court, double teaming an old man, I guess still trying to prove something. I have nothing left to prove. And I broke it. They put a couple pins in. Fast forward. Some of y'all remember me sharing. I accidentally pulled one pin out. And I got verbally spanked by the surgeon telling me, you know, you shouldn't have done that. What were you doing? Something I told you not to do. I thought I was talking to my wife. And so (laughs) the surgeon went on. The surgeon went on to say, well, I've never just put one pin in. So I hope the one pin holds. I hope it'll be fine. And so... Thank the Lord, uh, I went back on Thursday afternoon. The one pin held. They did an x-ray. It's healing back nicely. I've downsized my brace, and now I get to squeeze a stress ball. It's dual purpose for therapy and stress relief. And uh, while I was waiting to go in to see the doctor, the waiting room, there's a lot of people that have hand injuries. You wouldn't know unless you go to a hand doctor. <laughs> it made sense. <laughs> Kleiner Coots was full. And as we were in there, I noticed different ones being called. I got there early, and uh, as I was waiting in the waiting room, I noticed there was a Hispanic gentleman who kept looking over toward me. And I would look down, you know, everybody now in the waiting room, there's no magazines. Everybody's on their phone. Everybody's looking at their phone, scrolling. That's what some of y'all do when I'm preaching. But anyway, everybody's scrolling. You're looking up scriptures. I know that's what you're doing. Doing a fact check on the scripture. Fact check. So this Hispanic man 
walked over. I'd already, no, I'd already noticed this shirt. Do you ever observe a room when you go in? You should be attentive. My dad always told my brothers and me, be aware of your surroundings. Always be attentive. Watch your back. <laughs> See who's there, who's there. I, try to be aware of your surroundings. And so I was there. I'd already noticed this Hispanic man had a shirt, T-shirt, that said, life is good, eternal life is better. Well, finally, when some more people went back, we were just sitting there, and he came over and sat by me in a chair. Our eyes had met, and then he walked over and sat by me, which was great. Never introduced himself. I started the conversation out. I said, I love your T-shirt. And he said, thank you. And then he went on and told me he was 76 years old. He only had two fingers on his left hand, and he had just cut the tip off of a finger on his right hand. And he began telling me he was working on a bridge construction work when he lost these fingers, and he was put in the hospital. And while he was in the hospital, somebody came and shared Christ with him, and he said, I got saved. He said, that was years ago. I'm listening at this. I, I never said, I was just taking it all in. I would chime in and amen or I agree or yes, sir. But he was so excited, so thrilled. And he began to sing a worship song right there in the waiting room at Kleiner Coot. He, was, he goes, I couldn't speak English. I couldn't read an English Bible. But he said, I heard the voice of God say in the hospital after I got saved, you will speak and you will be able to read. And he said, and I can do both. He said, it was a miracle. And I said, praise God. And he said, you know what it says? And I didn't want to correct him. He said, you know what it says in Ephesians? It's Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But anyway, he was so thrilled, just so on fire for the Lord. He talked about how he was glorious, saved, and how we were to be ready for the Lord's return. I didn't know if I should tell him I was a pastor or not. And so after he was saying his praise song, the other people in the, they were kind of looking down at their phone and looking up and kind of like they didn't know what to think. We were there having church in the waiting room. And before I could tell him anything about me, he was sharing Christ with me. They called my name to go back. And I said to him, I don't even know his name. He didn't know my name. I said, God bless you. And he said, he already has. And I thought, if he's still out there, I had to run to the restroom. And I had to come out of the exam room to go to the restroom so I was only in there a few minutes before I came out. He was already gone. But I thank the Lord for his boldness to share his faith to a complete stranger at 76 years old. Shouldn't we do the same thing? Not to be ashamed of the gospel. Let's be as proud, as I said last week, of our faith in Christ as we are about our worldly possessions and earthly treasures. I love, and Jensen Franklin said this, and I close, that old song, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world 
affords to me. May we pray. Father, I pray right now in the stillness of this moment that if there are men or women or young people here and they've never given their heart and life to Jesus, we are all sinners saved by God's grace. Give somebody the boldness to come today and take a stand for the one who is willing to take a stand and die on the cross to save us. Father, I pray for Christians maybe that have gotten off track. They've been sucked in by the world's ways. Lord, you know, I also talked to my friend this week when they asked me, do you feel like you sometimes you don't belong? I said, all the time. Because we are called strangers, foreigners, aliens in this world. Because this isn't home. This is just a stop on our journey home. So we don't feel like we belong when we're trying to live out our faith. Father, I pray that if there are folks looking for a church home, that they would find that this is a church that loves everyone. But yet, God, we strive to preach the truth and to point people to a greater hope than our own in Jesus Christ. Oh, God, give us the boldness, the confidence to come today and allow you to forgive us and wash away our sins. Thank you that you love us and forgive us, and we can have a fresh start even now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and come if you're in this place. Contact us if you would like to make a decision from home. We're going to sing a hymn of commitment. It would be my privilege to receive you as we pray and as we sing.
Amen. I want to thank you so much for being here today and allowing the Holy Spirit to be in this place. Don't forget how much God loves you, and I and we love you, and I hope that you leave here challenged to live a godly and holy life that's pleasing to the Lord. That should be all of our desires, to please Him. As long as you're glorifying and pleasing Him, you don't have anything else to worry about. So, uh, I want to remind you of a couple things. Don't forget, Wednesday night, we have a meal at 5, followed by prayer meeting at 6. There's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. Also, if you did not sign up for a small group or Bible study group or a table group, it's not too late. You can sign up at the Welcome Center. We'd love to get you connected with some other believers to grow in your faith. And so there should be sign-up sheets out on the Welcome Center. If you're a guest, Don't forget to go by and get your free gift. But thank you all for worshiping. Thank you for your patience. Next Sunday, September 11th, is K-State Sunday. We're going to have the Kentucky State men's basketball team as well as Kentucky State students here. And then we're going to have a luncheon with our 412 ministry and the K-State students. It's going to be a great day. You don't want to miss it. I hope you'll come next Sunday for a powerful service. But thanks again, Jay. Thanks for leading in Bill's absence. Close us out with the song. This is my story. Pray, God, as we go from this place, may we live our lives in such a way that we tell your story in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.